God, we need your grace today. We need your freedom today. Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling. Lord, we would receive your grace, your empowerment, your freedom, the new thing that you want to do in us. God, we just speak that out by faith, God. We trust you, God. We know that you can do, just as Pastor Aaron said, your spirit can do stuff that there's no way we can do on our own. So we thank you for that. We trust you with that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can somebody give Jesus some praise? You guys can grab a seat. You'll have to uh, deal with my voice. I'm still recovering. My voice is recovering, so I'm going to crack my voice every once in a while like a junior higher, and that's all right. Um, <laughs> we're in our 100-day dare, and uh, we're going to be reading about a story of a guy named Elijah. How many of you guys have heard of Elijah? And he's one of the great prophets. And uh, we, we see a story in the Bible here where he, has, he hits his lowest point. He really hits his lowest point. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. It says, King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of those, of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, it's like a small tree, and asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah's lonely, he's depressed, he's suicidal, he's fearful, and eventually it leads him to a cave. And 1 Kings chapter 19, he eventually has this encounter with God, but he came to a cave, lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So he's depressed. He thinks he's the only guy left, right? And here he is in depression. So we're going to talk about a very serious subject today, and we're going to talk about the topic of depression. And that I know that maybe it's not why you came to church today, but maybe it is. Maybe it is. And for some of you, it, it's a struggle even to be here. But Elijah finds himself in this cave, and a cave really is a metaphor for depression. I mean, it's dark in the cave. Sometimes all you hear is your own voice reverberating in the cave. Sometimes if you're, your voice is the only thing happening in the cave, then it reinforces wrong thinking, and wrong thinking eventually turns into what seems to you like right thinking. So it's a very dark place, and Elijah found himself in a very dark place. And I don't know about you, but I've been in a dark place before, maybe not like Elijah, maybe you've been in a dark place before, maybe not like Elijah, but there are times when we go through things that are very, very hard. In 2004, I went through a very, very stressful season of my life and it was very, very difficult, one of the most stressful seasons in all my life. <clears throat> and I remember one time I, I came home, and I found the smallest closet that I could. <laughs> and I went in, and I sat down on the floor of the closet in the darkness. 
I just wanted to shut out the world. I just wanted to be by myself. I just wanted to isolate. I just wanted to shut off everything else and just be in the dark. And I don't, I don't know about you, but there are times when we feel like that. And it, it may surprise you or maybe it doesn't surprise you, but there are still times in my life where I constantly feel this feeling of, of constantly disappointing people. Constantly, maybe that there's someone that's upset with me or mad at me. It's just a matter of who is it today? And that's, that's in some ways, that's just life. But I can tell you that is pastoring. That's what it's like to pastor. And it's a constant weight that tries to weigh me down and to push me down into unhealthy thinking. And that may not be your issue, but you might have something that's constantly trying to push you down into unhealthy thinking. And so it's something we need to deal with today. There's a lot of triggers, you know, grief, loss, loss of purpose, uh, it could be a biological issue, it could be social, emotional, uh, could be a spiritual issue that brings you into depression. And you might be tempted to think this is only something that, like, if somebody's really weak, they might deal with this area. Or, or maybe there's something wrong spiritually with them. Or maybe they've fallen away from God in some way if they struggle in this area. But as we're going to see with the prophet Elijah, you know, there could be a lot of different reasons. But the prophet Elijah... He, was, he just had this moment of amazing stuff with God right before this depressing moment. And so to help us kind of get a picture of that, I'm going to take you to a better voice version of me on a video, and let's take a look at what happened. All right, so Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in history. He has tons of amazing miracles. Uh, he even has this cameo with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, just an amazing character talked about all the way through the Bible. And he has this uh, moment with King Ahab where King Ahab comes and he calls him a troublemaker because he, he prophesied that it wouldn't rain for three years and it caused this famine. And sure enough, it didn't rain for three years. And he encounters Ahab and Ahab says, you're a troublemaker. And, and you know, Elijah says, no, actually, you're the troublemaker because you've turned God's people away and now they're prophets worshiping false gods and in fact how about we have a contest up on the mountain you get all of these prophets 450 prophets who worship the false god Baal let's get all the people up there and let's have a showdown and so they do that they get up there on the mountain and and here's Elijah's plan he steps up in front of everybody and he says hey all right here's what's going to happen we're going to build two altars and the prophets of Baal are going to build an altar and then I'm going to build an altar and we're going to see whose god is the real god whichever god brings fire from heaven and lights it on fire, that's gonna be the real God. And so he says, you guys go first. So they build an altar, they put a bowl on it, and they begin to do their dance. They begin to cry out to their God and nothing's happening for a long, long time. It gets to about lunchtime and Elijah starts making fun of them. He says, hey, maybe your God went on vacation. Maybe your God is relieving himself. Maybe he's asleep. And so they start crying out all the more. They start cutting themselves. They start dancing and nothing happens. And finally, Elijah says, all right, it's my turn. So Elijah takes these 12 stones, one to represent each tribe of the tribe of Israel. And he builds an altar and he puts the wood on the altar. He puts the bull on the altar, but he goes further. He says, bring me four jars, big jars of water. And so they bring him out big pots of water and he says pour it all over the altar pour it all over the wood pour, pour it all over the meat and he dug a trench around it and see he, he pours it all over the place and he says do it again and he says do it again so he does it three times so it is just soaked and he calls 
on God and God lights it up with fire. And everybody knows in that moment that God is the true God. And the 450 prophets are, are killed that day. And the king's wife, King Ahab's wife, hears about it. And she says, get word back to Elijah that I'm going to kill him. And so Elijah goes from this being this great prophet, all this cool stuff happening, God coming down in the form of fire, and then he takes off and he runs and he gets into this depression. He goes and hides under a broom tree. Listen, so, sometimes here, here's what happens. Uh, Satan loves to get us right after a victory or right before a victory. And sometimes all it takes is one more thing, one more problem, one more critic, one more failure. And you can go into these wild swings, just like Elijah. Chris Hodges in his book, Out of the Cave, he lists some statistics. He said, uh, he talks about how depression now has become the world's number one health problem. There are more deaths than cancer each year because of it. And it's now ranking as the leading cause of disability. Listen to this, one out of every nine people are on some sort of uh, depression treating medication. Uh, one out of every five people have been at some point. Uh, antidepressant use has gone up over 300% in the last decade and it's still climbing. In 2019, this is pre-COVID by the way, uh, nearly 20% of all adults had symptoms of depression in the last two weeks. Think about that. You know, we hope it's better in the church, but sometimes it's not. But, but think about in Journey Church, what if 20 out of every 100 people who attend Journey Church had experienced depression symptoms in the last couple weeks? Two out of every 10 people that you encounter. That's crazy. That's a lot of people. On top of that, ranks of, rates of anxiety and depression among U.S. adults were about four times higher between April 2020 and August 2021 than they were in 2019. All this to say, what was affecting Elijah also affects a ton of people. And so you might be tempted to say, man, Elijah, what's the deal? I mean, you, you're being used by God. I mean, you just had this great victory. Uh, your prophecies are coming true. It seems like life is going well. What's the big deal? And that's the problem. It's a complex issue. And so I don't want to give you like three steps today to get out of depression. I don't even know if that really exists. But what I really want to do is I want to give us some truths because the Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. And so here are some truths that we want to remind ourselves with if we're dealing with this area of depression. Here's some truths right now. All right, I'm gonna share some truths with you, uh, and, but the last one is one that uh, is the strongest protective factor against depression, according to secular researchers even. So I'm gonna save that for the last, uh, but I have some truths that I want you to catch first uh, before we get there. Now, I've asked Pastor Aaron, uh, I kinda gave him a little heads up, but I said, hey, I may need you, your help today. So he's gonna take this first truth. Uh, give Pastor Aaron a big hand as he comes up and shares his first truth. All right. So um, uh, I'm glad I was paying attention last night when Pastor Sean preached. Um, but so we're talking about this story of Elijah and how depression can affect even what you might think are the most unlikely people. How could that person possibly be depressed? And one of the things that I, while I was sitting there listening last night, to this message, uh, I jumped online real quick and I looked up the definition of depression because I wanted to kind of have a context for what we were talking about. <clears throat> and, the and the definition that I looked up was, and, and again, we're gonna, 
we're going to kind of divide this up a little bit here in this point. But if you look up the, the definition of depression, it's a mental health disorder characterized uh, by persistent depressed mood or loss of interest in activities causing significant impairment in daily life. So that's kind of a real fancy way to say that uh, something has you down, it's persistent, it's not going away, and it's affecting your life uh, in a noticeable way. So that's kind of a general way of looking at it. And we see this happening with Elijah. But this next point uh, that, that we're looking at is the idea that we see in Scripture that you and I are not one simple, uh, a being made up of one simple layer. We're actually a body, a soul, and a spirit. And so we can be affected by things in one of those three different layers or multiple layers at the same time. So here's what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Uh, we actually had a connect group uh, recently that dealt with uh, this idea of spirit, soul, and body. And that's important to, to understand because when you gave your life to Jesus, the part of you that we refer to as your spirit became regenerated, right? You, you were made new. In, in, in fact, I could put it this way. You are as righteous right now in your spirit as you're ever going to be. And so that part of you that we call your spirit when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And all of the lies and the deceptions of the world around you and your past, and this is, this is my mistake, uh, those don't apply to this part of you that has been made new. The old is gone. The old has passed away. The, the new is, has come. And so in your spirit, you've been redeemed. You've been restored. You're a new creation. But there are two other parts that you have to deal with. And in this area of, of, of our being that we call our mind, it's, sometimes it's referred to as your soul. In fact, I've heard the soul re referred to as your mind, your will, and your emotions. So those three things coming together to make up what we call the soul. You are, depending on how you're approaching things and things that happen around you, circumstances, you are susceptible to this thing we call depression. So let's go back and look at uh, the story of Elijah. So <clears throat> we look in, let me, I've got Pastor Sean's notes and I've got my notes. I kind of feel like what we talked about last week, you know, where there was Saul's armor, and then there was David's uh, little pitiful stones. And I've got my, like, phone here that I made some things that I jotted down. Um, but Elijah was dealing with a fear 
in his life. So 1 Kings 19, uh, verses 4 through 8. Let's read that. It says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Now, remember who this is, and remember what just happened. And, And you heard Pastor Sean say sometimes... Sometimes we face an attack of depression before something significant happens in our life, and sometimes we face it after something significant happens in our life. So this guy, Elijah, literally just, this event that we saw that happened with this confrontation with the prophets of Baal and all that, it's like something out of a, like a Marvel Avengers movie or something. It's so epic and huge, and the victory that God gave him was so incredible. But right here, right now, he's dealing with incredible fear. So he said, he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. <laughs> I got to be careful that I don't get too off track here because every single line that I'm reading is so full of significance and meaning, especially if you're going through this too. What's happening right now? Elijah's identity is being affected and impacted by this. I'm no better than my father's. Let's keep reading. Uh, Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the Lord is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that, of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Last night when Pastor Sean was preaching this, I leaned over to Sarah, my wife, and I said, you know what that means? You know what that's saying? Sometimes when you're in a deep, dark place, you just need to eat cake. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's in the scripture. It's in the Bible. It's right there. I'm not seeing that. I'm not making that up. <clears throat> so before God had this amazing encounter, he met his physical needs. So that's, so Elijah had a need in one level of his being. Does that make sense? He, he had a need. It wasn't in his spirit. In that particular instance, it wasn't in his soul. He had a physical need. I know that you've experienced this too, and I, and I have many times. Sometimes you are in a down and a depressed mood. You're not seeing things right. You're not responding to things right. You get some rest. You get a healthy meal. And it's like every, somebody hit a reset button and everything's better. Sometimes you have a physical need. Some, in other words, let's put it this way. Sometimes depression manifests itself in the physical realm. What does that mean? That means that it may not be a spiritual issue. It might be a physical problem. 
It might be a chemical issue. It might be an imbalance. You might need to take care of yourself physically in some way, shape, or form. You might need to go talk to somebody who knows more about it than you do. And there might be a plan that you could put in place to get to a healthy place where you're not battling depression physically. Depression can also be encountered, and I just talked about this, on a soul level. You might have an emotional scar that you've been carrying around for 40 years. You've got this pain inside you. It's actually caused you to believe lies about yourself. It's, It's removed the ability to have hope in life. And you need healing emotionally. And then you might have depression that you're encountering that's on a mental level. And, you know, I mean, one of my favorite verses, I know most of you have heard me say this a million times, is Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind. And so we can see issues that happen physically, mentally, emotionally, and we have to be careful not to uh, attack and approach this issue as if it's just a one-dimensional thing. One of my favorite illustrations um, is, the, is, is the, the tool belt, right? Because when you strap on a tool belt, it has multiple kinds of tools in it. And how many of you guys know that if you're working on a project at home or something like that, and you just have a hammer... You're going, to have to, you're going to have situations where the hammer is not the best tool for that issue. If you just have a screwdriver, there's going to be a time where you have to drive a nail, and that doesn't work as well. And so we have to approach this from the knowledge that it is the will of God that you be whole. He wants you whole. Uh, That was a big revelation for me several years ago when I realized it's not just that God wants me healed, he wants me whole. That means spirit, soul, and body. And so it's God's will for you to be well, whether that's healing for your mind, your body, your emotions, or spiritual victory. Listen to Luke 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to uh, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus paid the price already to set the captives free, to bring liberty to you for your healing. This is God's desire and will for you. And I think that's the first step in freedom, healing, and wholeness is for you to understand that God wants this for you. It's for you to push away that error in thinking, that false notion that maybe somehow God placed this on you He wants this in your life. It's not true. He doesn't. He wants you whole. He wants you well. And uh, so he didn't design you just to resign to cope. He designed you for victory. He designed you to be an overcomer and to thrive. Do you agree with that? Amen. Um, I, I, I don't know if you want to. We haven't like worked out how we're going to split this up. 
But I was going to jump to the part. Talk, well, no, no, no. Uh, but I was going to talk to him about Sean, your son. Yeah, but, all right. He just kept, he just kept preaching, man. That's, that's awesome. Give him a big hand on the spot. That's awesome. Hopefully gave me just enough gas in the tank to keep going here. Um, God does want you to be well, you know. And, and I realize, I know that you may not be there right now because we're all in a process. I know we might not understand why this happened or that happened or how we get to this point. And, and I'm not here to bring, we're not here to bring any condemnation if you're not where, you know, if you're not like, I'm an overcomer right now or I'm experiencing this or I, that, that would be the exact wrong thing to do. We're not here to bring any condemnation. I just want you to know this truth, that God is a loving father and his heart is for you. His heart is for you to be well, just like any, any of us would be. And so you might not be there yet. You, you may be in process. You know, my, my son, he, uh, a few weeks ago, he had a bad diagnosis that we didn't want to have. And how many of you guys know when you get those, what do you do? You know, and he said, and I liked how he approached it. He said, I'm accepting the treatment, but not the diagnosis. Because you may have something going on and you may be in process, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean you don't take care of it. I mean, I'm, I'm drinking tea right now. I believe God wants me well, though, but I, I'm, I'm drinking tea to try to help me, right? That's okay. But he says, I'm accepting the treatment, but not the diagnosis. That's not denial. That means I believe this is not final. And I still have hope for healing. So no matter what's happened, and I know we've all experienced this whole spectrum of things, and maybe you didn't see what you wanted to in certain areas of your life or, and you struggle with that, I just, I, I just want you to continue to lean in that God wants us to be well. Healing and freedom is not only possible, but it's already paid for, amen? Why does God want you well? It's because of this next truth. God is not done with you yet. And if you're struggling and you find yourself in a dark place, you need to know that. You're not gonna be resigned to be in this spot for the rest of your life. God is not placing you here to try to teach you some lesson. He wants you to thrive. He, want, he has a place for you, a purpose for you. Somebody once said it this way. They said, depression is the inability to construct a future. And that's where a lot of people are. They get into a place where it's hard to see a future. That's where Elijah was. He's laying down under this broom tree. Watch this. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he came and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Now watch, there's a very interesting detail in the scripture. You gotta pay attention to the details in scripture. And it says this, and he left his servant there. Why did he leave his servant there? When he left his servant there, he was basically declaring that he was done with ministry, that he was done with his calling. The servant was there to help him with his calling. But he left the servant there, and he went off by himself. He said, God, I'm done. I'm calling it quits. I, I, I'm done. He couldn't see a future. He goes to the cave, but what happens? God shows up. A bunch of stuff happens. Verse 15 of chapter 19, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint some people. He tells them, here's your next assignment. Go, you're going to anoint a guy named Elisha, and he's going to take your place. Now, at first, this seems like 
God has just taken him out of the game and putting Elisha in, but that's actually not what's happening. He's giving him his greatest assignment next, his greatest assignment yet, and that is to disciple, to train, to place a double portion anointing in the next generation. It was his most significant assignment yet. God said, I'm not done with you. Listen, Elijah may have been done with God's calling, but God was not done with Elijah. And I want you to understand this, that God is not done with you. And if you are, it may be somebody you love right now that seems to be struggling, I want you to have hope today. God is not done with them. God is not done with you. You need to get this in your spirit, that God is not done with you yet. Now, sometimes we can learn from the life of other people. And I, I showed this video about this missionary who went through all kinds of trouble, all kinds of stuff, and got to this point where he thought, I'm just gonna call it quits, and God may be done with me, but, but God wasn't done with him. And I showed this video back in 2020, July of 2020, but none of you guys were here in July of 2020. And so let's watch this again. I believe there's something we can learn. Let's take a look. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to the Burmese during the 19th century. His life was devoted to the translation of the Bible into Burmese and the salvation of the people there. Health, loss, spiritual darkness, and imprisonment were just a few forms of opposition Judson faced for the extent of his ministry, which spanned nearly 36 years. Judson was married three times, having lost his first two wives to illness, seven of his 13 children died before reaching early childhood, and he himself eventually developed a lung disease that would lead to his death. Not only did Judson suffer physical pain and loss in the sharing of the gospel, he suffered imprisonment during the Anglo-Burmese War. For 17 months, Judson was bound by iron and fed very little, sometimes being suspended by his feet. As terrible as his imprisonment was, the worst opposition came upon his release when his father, wife, and child died, leaving him alone and doubting his motives for missionary work. Judson retreated from the world and utilized self-denial and isolation as his means of survival. After a 40-day stint alone in the jungle, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Adoniram Judson had picked up his cross to follow his savior and found himself suffering alone in the jungles of Burma. The news of his brother's passing, a brother whom he believed had found faith before his death, began his immersion from the darkness. It was during the year following this great darkness that the spiritual efforts in Burma began to take root. Had he given up, he would have missed the fruit of the following years on the mission field. And today, his faithfulness continues to bear fruit as nearly 3,700 congregations in Burma trace their heritage back to this one missionary who stood firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I found out a detail about this guy just this week that at one point he went back behind, you know, he was so depressed, he went back behind one of the village huts and he dug his own grave. And he sat by the edge of it and he contemplated for a long time whether he should go into it. But eventually, he came out of that. Now, and, and this is why this topic is so important because I believe there are some people who, that's what it feels like right now. That you're just sitting there beside your own grave and, and it could just be a metaphor for your calling or in life, but some of you it's actually more serious than that. I just want you to know that God's not done with you yet. He has a purpose for you. And many times, 
We ask this question, why me? Have you guys ever asked that question before? Why me? Why me? Why me? We need to go from asking the question, why me, to asking the question, what now? Because you can ask the question, why me, for the rest of your life, and you may never, ever get the answer to that question. But I just know from years of pastoring and just living life, whenever I see people ask the question, what now? God begins to reveal the what now. And that's what this guy did. He said, what now? What now? And eventually that's what Elijah did. And he says, what now? Now, Elijah under the the broom tree, he probably, he, he couldn't or he wouldn't envision a future, but the angel of the Lord comes and God comes and has an encounter. And that's my prayer for you, that you would have an encounter where you could see God's future for your life. I, l- let me just uh, see if you guys are paying attention. How many of you guys have chickens? Anybody have chickens? Just wanna know, who has chickens? Okay, we got one, one person who has chickens here. We had chickens for a while. Let me just tell you a little unknown fact about chickens, a little known fact. Chickens lay eggs, okay? Uh, <clears throat> that's why we have them. They lay eggs, and we like to eat the eggs. Now, there's something about chickens that I found out as we were researching getting chickens and raising chickens. Here's an interesting thing about chickens. Chickens have all of the eggs that they can ever potentially lay in their lifetime. The total number, the exact number. They have all of the potential eggs they could ever lay in their lifetime inside of them at birth. At birth. The total number, the exact number that they can potentially lay at birth. But here's the thing about chickens. Chickens don't lay eggs under wrong conditions. If it's too cold, they don't lay eggs. If there's, you know, different seasons, they won't lay eggs. If they get too old, you know, just all these different conditions. They don't drink enough water. They don't do all this stuff. So they only lay eggs under certain conditions. And that means that some chickens, in fact, most chickens, don't lay all the eggs that they could potentially lay and have. Is anybody see where I'm going with this just yet? We had a chicken one time who, uh, I mean, again, wrong conditions, uh, thunderstorm, and he just, I mean, he just got scared and just died, <laughs> just died in the thunderstorm. I thought last night that it was, a, it was one of our black chickens. We had a black chicken named Darth Vader, and then um, I know it's a girl, but it's still, it was cool, and, and I thought last night that the chicken, the other chicken's name, the one that died's name was Thunder, but it was like, oh, we had a cat named Thunder, and he died, um, but... I thought, man, that would be prophetically unfortunate if your name is Thunder and you die during a thunderstorm, right? <clears throat> but what I'm saying is that some of us, just imagine for just a second, what if God placed all of his calling and his dreams and potential on the inside of you, everything you could do at birth? And in fact, he did. The Bible says that he knows us even as we were being formed in our mother's womb. He placed all of the potential, all of the eggs, if you will, for the analogy, inside of you. But if we don't live out under the right conditions, we may miss some of the potential opportunities that God has. We may miss some of those things. That's why it's so important for you to know that God is not done with you yet. And listen, if some of you have maybe gone on a path that you say, I don't know, here's what you need to understand. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. That potential is still there. It's been there from birth, and God didn't change it. He didn't take them away. Maybe you're praying for a loved one who's gone astray or something. Listen, 
I believe that that potential is still there. God placed it at birth. He didn't take it away. It's still there. We just have to get ourselves in the right conditions. And part of that is understanding God is not done with you yet. He's not. All right. You ready for the strongest protective factor against depression? According to researchers, the strongest uh, protective factor, researchers from Massachusetts General Hospital in a study that was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry named this as the strongest protective factor against depression. Again, secular researchers, but I believe it confirms the scriptures. They named social connection. We would call it being in community with people. We would call it fellowship. We would call it relationships. All this does is confirm how God designed us, that God designed us for connection, that God designed us not to be isolated. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10, Elijah goes on his thing and he says, God, I've been very jealous for the Lord. I've done all this stuff, but where have you been? I'm the only one that's left. Take away my life. They seek my life. I'm the only one that's left. And God brings a correction in in a few verses later in verse 18. He's like, "Um, Elijah, uh, I have 7,000 more. You're not the only one. See, sometimes we think we're the only one, right? God's like, I got 7,000 more. How about we get together? And in fact, here's what's interesting about the story of Elijah. When Elijah leaves the cave, we never hear of him being alone again. When Elijah leaves the cave, we never hear of him being depressed again. He has Elisha by his side. He has these others by his side because God designed us for connection. Satan loves to pick us off like like Satan acts like a pack of wolves who will wait for the one who gets away from the other, the, the one who's by himself. He loves to pick us off when we're isolated. And so what? So many of us, we, we isolate ourselves. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up and we're gonna get ready to have a prayer time, but I told you guys a few weeks ago how we were struggling with some stuff in my family and we had a series of things happen. It started with my wife, Becca, who was in the hospital for a couple days with a severe infection. And while she was in the hospital with a severe infection, my daughter, Shaylin, got in a head-on car crash. And I ended up in the ER in the same hospital. My wife was on floor four. I'm in the ER with her. Then uh, uh, as all that was happening, I'm driving home, getting ready to pull in my driveway. And just before I got home, a big tree fell over right where I was getting ready to drive. I was like, what is happening here? Then shortly after that, my son uh, went into the hospital for a couple days and got a bad diagnosis. Then after that, my dad went into the hospital for five days with COVID pneumonia. It was on oxygen. And after that, a few weeks ago, my whole family, or my family got COVID round two. Then our septic system went out. This has just been in like the last six weeks of my life. And I share that with you, not so you can be like, oh, I, I, want to, I feel sorry for Pastor Sean. Listen, I've been living life and pastoring long enough to know that there are people in this room right now who are going through stuff way harder, way more difficult. That's not what this is about. I, I bring all those things up for one reason, because there was one thread through all of that 
You see, through all of that, we have been unmoved. We've had an unbelievable peace and joy. You might call it a peace that passes understanding, that guards hearts and minds. Really, I mean, I, I just, and I know that maybe you're going through a situation and that's not your story, and I've had situations in my life where that wasn't my story either, but I, I just know this time there's just been an unusual grace of God. But I can tell you one thing that happened through each one of those moments, each one of those when my wife was in the hospital, when my daughter was in the hospital, when my son was in the hospital, when my dad was in the hospital. I mean, I could just keep going down the list. You know what I did every single time? I reached out to people who cared about me and I pulled them into my world. I said, pray for me, be with us. Because this point of so social connection that the researchers, secular researchers say is true, God designed us that way. And here's what a lot of people do. If you're in a dark place right now, I can pretty much guarantee that you're hearing this. I can do this on my own. I can pretty much guarantee you're saying, I got this, I'll figure this out. I can pretty much guarantee you're hearing a voice that says, I can make it, I don't need to reach out. And I can confidently say, that is not the voice of God. It is not the voice of God. Getting help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. As Pastor Aaron said last week, you know, he said, he preached on David. You guys will remember that, how David found himself in a place where no one else was there to strengthen him. He had to encourage himself in the Lord. And you may be in that place today where no one else is around. You can't, you can't pull people into your world. And you find a way to strengthen yourself in God. But I also know this, that so many of us, so many times, we're tempted to not let anyone around. We're tempted to push people away. We're tempted to say, I got this. When we have all these people available to us, we're tempted to push people away. It's not that we're separated, it's that we're isolating. And that is not the will of God for your life. So are you struggling? Do you need to rearrange things in your life? Are you in a dark place right now? Elijah was isolated when depression got him. You don't have to be isolated today. We are here. In fact, what we're gonna do here in just a minute is we're gonna be available to pray for you, with you, be in community with you, just be present with you. That's why it's so important just to be present with people as well. And so we're gonna do that during this last song. But somebody reminded me last night of John chapter five when Jesus comes to this guy who was, who'd been sick for a long time and he asked him what seems like a strange question. He says, do you want to be well? Well, you think the answer would automatically be yes. But sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we really need to answer that question. Do we want to be well? Or are we taking on this illness or this sickness or this depression or this whatever as our identity? And that we feel like something would be missing if we didn't have this crisis in our life. So the question, do you want to be well, is a question I ask you today. Because if you do want to be well, Jesus said, it's time to take a step. And this may be the hardest step for some of you who are in a dark place and some of you watching online right now. 
You couldn't get out of bed. You couldn't come here today. But I want to invite you to take that step, whatever that step is. If it's to say a prayer or I'm going to invite you to take a step towards the altar today. And it may be the hardest step you've ever taken. And I understand that, that for some of us, this may be the hardest step we've ever taken. But it's the first step towards coming out of the cave. It's the first step to walking into the light. So would you stand up with me? And I'm going to have our prayer teams come down at this time. And here's what I want to do during this last song. If you are in a dark place or struggling in this area, remember, it doesn't mean that, you, that there's something that you've done wrong. It doesn't mean there's a sin. It doesn't mean that you're not spiritual even. It just means that you're in need of community. Or if you're in a place where maybe you know somebody who's struggling, you can come down and stand in for them and have prayer for them. Maybe you need to be strengthened because you're watching somebody who seems to be spiraling downward and you need strengthened. I encourage you to come, even if it's not you, to come and have prayer. And it's again, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard, but it's the first step out of the cave. So God, we just give this moment to you and we say, God, come. We know that there are physical issues at times, maybe where people need a medical attention of some sort, but even, even still, we believe that if you can heal a broken bone, you can heal a broken heart or a broken mind. A mind that might be struggling or a emotions that feel broken, that feel wounded. Lord, we, we, we believe you can do that. And there are some who are battling a spiritual battle right now. And their depression is a spiritual battle and they can be set free and evict things out of their life. Others are in a process and they don't necessarily know how to sort it all out. Lord, I pray that they would feel your comforting presence today as we pray with them. And so Lord, we, we give this moment to you and we say, come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, please come for prayer. We would love to pray for you.